0: Hello and welcome to The Scoop, a provincial newscast and podcast with stories from LJI journalists around British Columbia. Each week, reporters from Revelstoke, Cortez Island, Kootenai, Terrace, Prince George, and Smithers will share the news affecting their place in BC. I'm your host and producer, Pamela Hassan, from CICK News and Smithers. The Scoop was made possible by the Community Radio Fund of Canada and the Local Journalism Initiative Program, or LJI. Follow The Scoop on CICK, Smithers Community Radio, 93.9 FM every Thursday and Saturday at noon, online at smithersradio.com, and of course, wherever you get your podcasts. Today on The Scoop, the Regional District of Central Kootenai released results of its public engagement on the draft Climate Action Plan. And Scott Onyashuk from CJLY is scooping the public engagement results. Kiddimat's Claire Ratte has thrown her hat in the race again as a federal member of parliament with the Conservative Party of Canada but this is her third attempt at the seat. That scoop comes from CFNR's Sabrina Spencer. The North Island Queer and Trans Plus Song Society from Courtney has tapped into a niche for queer, trans, and ally singers in an attempt to make beautiful music together. Lonnie Taylor is in the pocket with that scoop. This is Freedom to Read Week in Canada, and I'm speaking to a number of library staff from the North about intellectual freedom. My scoop comes from Ruth Cooper in Hazleton this week for CICK News. And first, a missing persons case was renewed with the Prince George RCMP. Brittany Jean Schramm is still missing, and Ian Gregg is on the scoop for CFUR in Prince George.
1: During the Women's Memorial March in Prince George, February 14th, many of those participating chose to do so because a member of their family went missing. In many cases, people are still looking for their loved ones. Jean Felix is one of those people. Her search started late 2023 and continues now. Here, she shares her rationale for joining the Women's Memorial March.
2: Well, it's because my sister went missing downtown Prince George. It was a good opportunity for me to raise awareness and bring bring awareness to her case. And um, you know, last week it was sent an- sent over to the the serious crime unit it was handed over to them and so what i thought what a perfect time for us to you know get her her picture out there and bring light to you know this situation that you know she hasn't been there's no updates no real leads so i'm hoping that you know by doing this that it will shine some awareness or some people will recognize her and it was I guess a chance to really communicate like you know just mingle with people and see if I can find any answers, any any new leads is what I was looking for. I guess that, that was my biggest hope today, was trying, you know, looking for new leads to go on. She went missing around December, well, the last um, footage, that we or the last known is that the what I used on the poster was December 13th, but there was another footage, uh, she was on camera around December 21st, so that was the latest date so far. And that was around the Abu and Rainbow Drive area, which is pretty far from here. But then again, it doesn't surprise me because I kind of have a feeling that maybe she was on her way home for Christmas because she would never miss Christmas. And that's when we and when she did, that's when we knew something was seriously wrong.
1: Thank you so much for sharing your story with us as well.
2: I think the more awareness and the more you know, news stations that have this or anywhere it could be broadcasted or even on the radio. Like I, I, I couldn't care less where, as long as it's out there, right? Yeah. So any, any opportunity to bring her name out there is, um, I basically, um, you know, at the end of the day, that's, it helps.
1: Yeah. As per a Prince George RCMP news release, originally issued January 10th, Brittany Jean Tram was reported and presently remains missing. She's described as an indigenous female, five foot seven or 170 centimeters, 150 pounds, or 68 kilos, with brown eyes and long black hair. She's known to frequent the downtown area and was originally seen wearing dark snow pants, a green winter jacket, and a pink headband. Since then, as her sister Jean mentioned, her case was escalated to the Serious Crimes Unit and announced February 8th. She was spotted between December 19th and 21st, 2023, carrying a black blanket, wearing a red plaid jacket, and blue gloves. If anyone has information regarding the last time they saw Brittany Jean Schramm or her current whereabouts, please contact the Prince George RCMP or Northern BC Crime Stoppers. The RCMP can be reached at 250 561 3300. Crime Stoppers can be reached anonymously at 1-800-222-8477 or online at www.northernbccrimestoppers.ca. You do not have to reveal your identity to Crime Stoppers. According to Corporal Jennifer Cooper of the Prince George RCMP, the RCMP's Serious Crime Unit has taken conduct of the investigation and will continue to follow up on any new information provided by the public. Brittany has not been seen in nearly two months. This is very concerning for her family and for investigators. Her picture is posted alongside this article and on our website. This is Ian Gregg reporting for CIFA Radio's Due North on 88.7 FM. This initiative is made possible by the Community Radio Fund of Canada through the Local Journalism Initiatives program. Find our news stories online at Frequency News. .ca or
3: This is a CKTZ news update. I'm Lonnie Taylor. Veramente is a North Island regional choir. They're based in Courtney but have members that carpool all the way from Campbell River. They're just beginning in January for a session that lasts about 13 weeks. This is their fourth Series since they've become a nonprofit about a year and a half ago in September of 2022. In that time, they've managed to gain support and even a sponsor, share copy, prints all of their music. The group came into fruition because they discovered that there was no queer choir in the North Island region. Now that they have established themselves, they have been reaching out to the rural islands to include more people from the 2S slgtbqia community. They are now currently on their fourth session and advertised on Cortez Island since the co-director has connections to Cortez Island. I caught up with Ali Romanow, one of the co-directors for the choir, to find out more about this upcoming organization. So, it's nice to meet you. Where are you hailing from today?
4: I am in the beautiful, almost sunny Comox, BC.
3: Firamente. So, tell me about this group you're involved in and how you are involved.
4: Firamente is a 2 LGBTA plus choir. Allies are also welcome. And it's a really beautiful space for community to come together and sing and explore voice and community. And it's multi-generational, which is really beautiful. And yeah, there's a a not-for-profit that we put together to run the choir. And yeah, it all started because of a Facebook thread on a community page on Facebook where someone asked if there was a queer choir in the Comox Valley and the answer was no there isn't but there should be one and one of our founding members who's a wonderful piano accompanist who's no longer working with the choir but he worked with us and helped us get started Andrew Sims responded and was spearheading that and then myself and Anne-Marie Long We're part of that thread and I have experienced directing musical groups where singing is also a part of it. So I pulled my friend Aaron Doncaster in and said, hey, you want to direct a choir with me? And we both took some directing lessons and we've just been going full tilt ever since.
3: So is the not-for-profit also called Fermente?
4: No, it's called the North Island Queer and Trans Plus Song Society, but for short, we're the N.I. Cuties.
3: Okay, perfect. And okay, so you started, it became official in September of 2022. Yeah. And you've been full tilt ever since.
4: Yeah, yeah, it's been really cool.
3: Tell me maybe some highlights since then and like where you are now, what's happening right now with the group.
4: So we've had a few kind of showcase performances, which were really beautiful, a great way to share what we've been doing with our community. But the really beautiful thing about the group is the the community that's formed and the community care that happens. We're quite COVID conscious. We're all singing in masks. And so it allows um, folks who are immunocompromised and might not be able to join in other community events are able to come and be a part of this wonderful thing together.
3: So you said it's multi generational Yeah. Um, what's the oldest age in the group and what's the youngest? What's the range?
4: I'm guessing that some of our oldest membership are in their 70s and our youngest, I believe, have been 19 kind of early twenties. And it's really, it's a really neat thing because so often when we're doing group activities, it's with everyone in the same age cohort. And so there's this really beautiful sharing of knowledge and terminology and experiences and new concepts back and forth through the different generations. And there are things that some of the Young folks don't know about the history of our community that is being shared and then there's some of our elders within the group, whether that's elder in age or elder when you came out and discovered being that you're part of the community.
3: So I'm guessing there's a bit of a fee for the membership? There is.
4: We do try to keep the costs low. I believe this term, it's currently $140 for the term. We do have bursaries and scholarships available for folks. That's out of their reading. And we do have folks at each term that end up accepting those. And we really would love to make it even more affordable for folks. Uh, We're currently operating right on a shoestring of how much we can charge and still make our venue rental and still pay our contractors. And that, uh, so we're now that we've been a not-for-profit for for a year, we can start applying for more grants. So last term we did a tune that Aaron and I went to Corsica for three weeks last June, that June of 2023 and spent, 12 days immersed in Corsican music, and we brought a Corsican piece back and taught that to the choir. And that was super fun. And we've done music from by the wonderful community choir director, Serena Partridge, who's doing a workshop in Comox on the 17th of February. And she does wonderful music that's community and environmentally oriented. And then we've also tried to feature queer and LGBTQIA stories, and composers as well in our repertoire.
3: Lonnie Taylor, CKTZ News, Cortez Island. CKTZ News is brought to you by the Local Journalism Initiative, the program funded by Heritage Canada and administered through the Community Radio
0: Fund of Canada. Ruth, would you tell me what Freedom to Read Week is?
5: to read week is uh, designed to promote people to read lots of diverse things but primarily to try to counteract efforts at censorship and limiting what people are allowed to read
0: yeah and I guess do you know Ruth what some of the history of why certain books have been banned do you know kind of the history of of why that started
5: well, um, many books are banned because they're uh, claimed the people who want them banned claim they're pornographic, which they seldom are pornography has a very specific definition, but in um, some places, especially in school libraries but in other public libraries and stuff too they can be challenged if they're considered to be obscene, which has a a looser sort of definition or to be offensive in some way. A lot of times it's the language that's used within the book. A lot of things are banned because they have sexual content or implied sexual content and that sort of thing. They're usually challenges are put up on the basis that it's protecting someone from something dangerous.
0: Why do you think libraries matter now when there's so much information online? What's unique and, and special about libraries, in your opinion?
5: Well, one of the things is it's one of the few remaining absolutely free and inclusive, welcoming public spaces. So you don't have to be able to afford an internet connection, you know, it's, it's, difficult up here in our area. Not everyone can even get an internet connection. But I think one of the special things that public libraries do is we serve our patrons. So you can come in with a question and we can ask clarifying questions to help hone us in on finding exactly what it is that you want. I don't know if you've ever had a frustrating Google search where you type in something and you get something completely different. But human beings, you know, we interact with each other. We can suggest alternatives. We can borrow things from other libraries if we don't have them physically present in our own. We provide good service.
0: Absolutely. My last question, Ruth, do you have a favorite book that has in the past been banned?
5: like in the display are the ones I think are a little bit crazy, like the Prince Rupert School Board banned Yertle the Turtle by Dr. Zeus, and there's a Potato on a Bike by Elise Gravel. That's a children's board book. It wasn't banned because of anything offensive in the book, but someone took offense to the author herself. Mm. And consequently, all of her books were banned from the Jewish libraries in Montreal. Mm. So it's those things that I think just, it's awful that they've been banned by such a narrow point of view, but it it actually, I find it pretty funny that people are... (laughs) concerned about a potato on a bike we put up a display every year and we promote the books we encourage people to come down and people do come down and they'll say oh my gosh I loved that book why what is it ever bound and or they'll pick one up they hadn't read and that's our challenge to people Uh, you know who doesn't like reading a book that's deemed so dangerous it shouldn't be read you know that's a challenge I think that's the ironic thing is Usually when people push to have a book banned, it attracts attention to that book, and so then it becomes more widely read than it perhaps would have been.
6: Thank you so much, Ruth. I really appreciate you speaking with me today.
0: Thanks for the call.
6: The Regional District of Central Kootenai has released public feedback statistics related to their draft climate action plan. The RDCK draft climate action plan is a list of ways the RDCK can support our community in reducing carbon pollution and its impact on our communities many of the actions are already underway. From April to October 2023, the RDCK saw feedback from the public through webinars, open houses, dialogue circles, emails, letters, and others. They received over 3,500 comments on a variety of topics. Donna Ditson, the Community Resilience Coordinator with the RDCK, presented this information in a media briefing on February 16th. She mentioned five common asks from the community.
5: So what we heard that people are asking for is to have the right to choose, For there to be clear and direct communication, for there to be local solutions, for the regional district to have increased resilience, and interest in working together
3: and following with shared values.
6: Residents within the RDCK provided mixed feedback on the draft climate action plan. 29 to 30% of actions received high support, 16 to 19% of actions received low support, and 51 to 55% of actions had mixed support from the public. Paris Marshall-Smith, the sustainability planner with the RDCK spoke on which actions were the most supported and which had the most opposition.
7: The themes of of support um, largely fall into four categories. So agriculture receives strong support, particularly if there was autonomy um, to farmers to make choices about how to to manage their livelihoods, water is um, of strong support, and again, uh, with that caveat of it being voluntary, but the concern for watersheds, the concern for protecting water is high in residents' minds. Wildfire resilience is also a high priority, as is emergency preparedness. Actions that were had the least amount of support were electric vehicles. Uh, this was, and again, seen as something that was, if it was being forced on residents, that there was high concern. And then there's also concern around the ethical nature of how materials are sourced. Step code is a concern as it is seen as a question of affordability to residents and making life less affordable. Land use planning and zoning, there was support for it, but there was also concern again in that category of autonomy and wanting, residents wanting to make decisions without uh, a level of control from government. And then the last category retrofits is similar to step code. And so not wanting regulated or required retrofits.
6: You can view the RDCK's public engagement results and the entire draft climate action plan on their website at rdck.ca. Reporting in Nelson, Scott Honestruck, KCR News.
0: And from CFNR in Terrace, this story comes by Sabrina Spencer. The Conservative Party of BC named Claire Rattay from Kitimat as their candidate for the Skeena Riding. The party made the announcement on January 30th. She has two unsuccessful bids for a seat in 2019 and again in 2021 as a federal member of parliament with the Conservative Party of Canada coming in second to MP Taylor Backrack, Ratté spoke with CFNR about her campaign on economic development, the housing crisis and health care, as well as addiction recovery support. Ratté is a small business owner and entrepreneur and owns a tattoo shop in Kitimat, and as such will be looking out for small business owners, she said. She also shares personal struggles she has overcome and how this will help her efforts to bring addiction support to the region. BC's next provincial government election is scheduled for October 19th this year. If you want more stories by Sabrina Spencer, visit cfnrfm.ca or visit frequencynews.ca and seek out CFNR in Terrace. And that's this week's episode of The Scoop, a podcast and broadcast featuring stories from remote BC by the journalists in the communities of Smithers, Cortez Island, Revelstoke, Kootenai, Prince George, and Terrace. This program was made possible by the Community Radio Fund of Canada and the Local Journalism Initiative Program. Tune in next week for another episode and follow us online wherever you get your podcasts.